Welcome to the Mac Emerge Podcast. My name is Teresa Chan, and with me I have Kevin Dong, Brendan Trotter, and Joanna Dida, and we'll be your podcast team. Our goal is to connect all the McMaster affiliated emergency physicians so we all get to know each other a little better. We have so much great talent and expertise in this region. We want to highlight it into one regional podcast. Each podcast features one invited guest to speak about their expertise or interests. Additionally, we will feature external speakers who have delivered regional rounds at one of our teaching sites. And don't forget about the residents. We'll be featuring stories about our residents and what they've been up to as well. All right, are you ready? Let's get started with this month's episode. Hey everyone, it's Kevin Dong here, and welcome to the Macemerge Podcast April 2022 podcast. I'll be your host for today, and we have an awesome show for you. The first segment is we have an awesome collection of staff physicians working at Hamilton Health Sciences as well as St. Joseph's Hospital in Hamilton. And we have Dr. Aline Pardan, Dr. Joanna Mann, Dr. Dean Balaki, and Dr. Gret Rutledge talking about their experiences and why they love doing night shifts. Now, I feel a lot of people are hate love with night shifts. I think there's a lot of pros and cons, but here these specialists, these nocturnists talk about why they love doing night shifts. And specifically, Dr. Rutledge talks about casino shifts and what those are and why they are so beneficial to your emergency department. The resident segment is a really interesting one consisting of two of our amazing residents, Dr. Chad Singh and Dr. Spencer Sample who will be talking about reflections with the Royal College and their experiences doing that. So thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great time listening to our segments. Thanks again to our medical students and residents and staff physicians for working on our amazing podcast. And I hope you enjoy this one. So I've been working evenings and nights since I started my career about 10 years ago. For me, there's a number of reasons why. I work better in the evening and on nights, and I really, really hate waking up in the mornings. So this uh, has worked out well for me. I also have a number of administrative and educational roles, so working in the evening and on nights allows for me to attend meetings during the day. Finally, I also find the medicine on evenings and nights to be more interesting. So. All in all, that's what I've tended to work. I think in my 10 years of practice, I've worked a grand total of one day shift and only because I couldn't trade out of it. Question number two, what are some pros of being a Nighthawk? So I think the advantages are it keeps your days free to do other things. In my case, this is admin and education, but you could also spend your daytime with family, running errands, and certainly if you have other roles or other jobs, that's uh, when you could tend to do them. Also, I think if you enjoy high acuity, there tends to be a lot or, lots of high acuity patients on evenings and nights. The disadvantages of working evening and nights. So I think there's a couple of things. Tend to work at a time when there is less in-hospital support. This includes consultants, various imaging modalities. So for example, ultrasound tends to be mostly available during the day. On nights, you may be the only attending in the hospital. So learning how to work in a more resource-limited way is important. Another disadvantage, depending on on you and how you like to work, you often on evenings and nights tend to walk into very full, very busy departments, spend a lot of time getting caught up. Evenings tend to be consistently busy and nights tend to start off really busy and then slow down as the shift goes on. Finally, advice for night shifts. So I think this one is highly person specific. I think the biggest thing is to figure out what works
works best for you. So for me, my first night, I will try to sleep for three to four hours before I go into work. For any subsequent nights, I will try to stay up post night shift till about two or three in the afternoon and then go to sleep until my until I have to get up for my shift. I will sometimes schedule meetings and go to the gym during the time that I'm awake just because I find that it, that works out best for me. Before going in, make sure you figure out where food and caffeine on shift are going to come from overnight. So if you don't have an overnight coffee shop at your hospital, you need to bring food into the hospital so that you have something to eat and drink overnight. In terms of during the shift, what I tend to do is when I get there, I try to get a sense from the charge nurse where the priorities are, where the fires are and deal with those first. I walk around the emergency department and try to find out where the sick people are, um, even if they belong to other services and make sure that I keep tabs on their status. I will try to check in with the SMR and other consulting services to find out how their night is going, make sure they know that I'm around if they need help with anything. For me anyway, I feel that the emergency physician is a resource to any learner in the emergency department or in the hospital, particularly on nights where they may not have other in-hospital resources. I may not be able to leave the department just because of the way the, the ED is set up, but I can often provide advice or direction if somebody has a question or concern. If you are covering the whole eMERGE on nights, know in advance how you're gonna flow your department. So for example, I will see a few patients on the minor side and then go over and see a couple of new patients and reassessments on the major side while the nurses in the minor side are doing whatever orders I've written and refilling the rooms for me to see new patients. And I think also super important is make sure you slot a break in there somewhere about halfway through your shift. So time to eat a snack, get something to drink, go to the bathroom. You will function better over the course of your shift if you take those 10 minutes. Hopefully that's helpful. I personally like casino shifts because I find them to be much less taxing on my mind and my body as far as both preparation time and recovery after the shift. Getting up in the night and going in, although initially seems like it is difficult, I find that having had a few hours of sleep already, I'm able at the end of the shift to continue on with my day without having to get any extra sleep and therefore I do actually still have most of my day available to me to get some things done. In addition, if I'm doing the first part of a night shift, I find coming home and sleeping in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., I'm able to get a few extra hours that are much more rejuvenating than if I were to come home after an entirely long night shift, as in a traditional night shift. I guess the drawback of casino shifts would be that technically you are adding two night shifts into every given day as opposed to the traditional one. So any one individual or physician would potentially need to work more nights than they currently do. As far as preparation to survive one of those early bird shifts, really I just find not drinking much caffeine during the day so that I can get to bed at a reasonable very early time such as 8 or 9 p.m. will get me those 4 to 5 hours which are adequate to be able to get up and function through a shorter casino shift to then be able to come home and either have a short snooze or just an easy rest of my day accomplishing tasks that don't require too much brain power. Hi, my name is Dr. Dean Vlahaki and I'm a Royal College trained emergency physician practicing as staff at both St. Joseph's Healthcare Hamilton and Hamilton Health Sciences. I've been staffed for almost three years now and the majority of my shifts are night shifts. For me, the major advantages of night shifts include increased autonomy in the department as at our sites there's single dot coverage for the majority of the shift. This gives me increased control over the department. There's also an undeniable advantage in terms of billing premiums with close to 50% additional billings available as a premium for night shifts. Overall, this means you can do less shifts in total and achieve the same financial goal. Another advantage for night shifts for me is that I have a young family and my presence in the evening is important at home. 
Night shifts allow me to go to work when my children are sleeping and miss only half the day with them while sleeping in the morning to catch up. This seems to work well for my wife and I. Another advantage of working night shifts for me is that I get to use my extra year of fellowship training in point of care ultrasound more frequently, as ultrasound in the radiology department is generally not available overnight. For me, this means putting into practice the skills that I've learned and using point of care ultrasound in a way that is useful to both my patients and myself. There are definitely disadvantages to doing night shifts, the first being the toll that it takes on your body if you're not careful and pay good attention to sleep hygiene. Generally, my routine is to come home from a night shift and sleep until approximately noon or 1 p.m. Wake up, spend an hour with my children before they go down for a nap, and then relax throughout the day. To prepare for a night shift, generally I'll try and get to sleep around 8 p.m. and then wake up at 10 p.m. and do my usual prep for work routine, including have a coffee, have a shower, and prepare a snack. Generally, I try not to do more than two night shifts in a row, but sometimes this is hard to avoid. I find after about two night shifts in a row, my circadian rhythm starts to change too much, and it's difficult for me to recover and get back on a normal schedule. Greg, why don't you tell me a little bit, what are casino shifts and how do they function? So casino shifts are predicated mostly on casinos, hence the name. The idea is you essentially don't work a full complete night. You split your nights into two times with the principle of anchor sleep on either end. So you get some sleep prior to going in for your night shift or you get at 11 o'clock or you get some sleep through most of the early morning and come in later in the morning for the second half of the casino shift. All right. And so how does that feel when you're like a person that's actually doing casino shifts? What happens? So we've had them here for about 18 months now. It It was interesting. It was a bit of a heated debate as to whether we want it or not I think passed by like 51% kind of thing ultimately with our group and now moving forward 18 months almost uniformly people want them and want them and that's been the history of every site that we talked about prior to starting it was that there was some contentious debate but no one has ever wanted to walk off it since they started it so for us you really just don't have that post nights post call feel that I think all of us can kind of relate to where you just feel unwell the next day even if you go home and get a decent amount of sleep you always that principle of the anchor sleep I think works like you just feel more refreshed the next day you're certainly more productive the next day you don't lose the day before where you have to have a really long nap in the afternoon and all of us have our little techniques of how we how we control our night shift coverage but you're you're able to function through the day pre-night and you're much better post-night the next day yeah and and I think locally we've seen the rise of like that 3 4 a.m burst so you've arrived fresh when all the high acuity patients come in around then putting my other hat on my my admin hat on certainly from a result perspective you your length of stays improve your time to physician assessment improves because you come in full of vigor and and the other one's winding down I think a few things we learned was number one you have to really be accepting of handovers and diligent that that person hand over and get out as soon as they can because if you're extending your casino shift another hour hour and a half you've lost the point of it so we're really aware of that and really conscientious to get the person that's precedes you out in the first half of the casino shift the handover has to be accepting there is a wind down period you kind of learn as the initial physician the start of the casino that you can wind down a bit that you learn the patients you can get involved with to limit handover we all know that handover is a risky time for all of us so getting engaged and involved in patients that you can wrap up before and not have to hand over isn't it is an important piece as well and I think each of us have learned how to respond how we sleep beforehand how do we sleep after do you go home immediately go to sleep do you go work out and then go to sleep and so that's a very personal thing yeah and I always assume that also there's an opportunity then at that change over if there is some super high acuity 
patient that you just kind of overlap a little bit. Correct. Yeah, there, it overlap on a on an acute patient. If there's a conscious sedation that you need and it's two thirty in the morning, you might hold it till four to the next doc comes, so you yeah. can do it together. Just a bit more safety, almost providing a little bit of double coverage in the center there. When most time, most nights you don't have any double coverage at that hour. If you ask people, most people enjoy the first half of the casino better than the second half. It's hard getting up at two forty five to come in for four. I think that's the one that grinds on people a bit. But it is nice at nine a.m., ten a.m. to as the place really starts to hum and the consults are coming in to be able to say I'm going to go have some lunch and work out and so from a wellness perspective to be able to leave at that point has been great for everybody and it balances pretty well in the group where we now self-select which half of the casino you work based on your preference yeah I was going to say there's probably got some morning larks and some night hawks that kind of figure themselves out there's some people who frankly are a bit anxious about volumes and so you know on that 4am shift that you will you will catch up you might come into a bit more volume but we all know the bell curve of registrations and so registration at five six in the morning are not strong and so people enjoy that ability to sort of keep it in third gear get through all the patients and not feel like they're ever going to get overwhelmed from a volume perspective so i think that's a lot of the people who self-select to those whereas others like the 11 p.m because you're super busy for the five hours you're there and you wrap up and you go home excellent thank you Welcome to Residence Corner, where you will learn about some of the awesome work that our McMaster Emerge residents have been up to. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Residence Corner. As always, I'm Ben, one of the residents in the Mac Emerge program. This month, I have the pleasure of speaking with two people who you've heard on Residence Corner a lot before, Dr. Chad Singh and Dr. Spencer Sample, two of our R4s in our Royal College Emerge program. Gentlemen, thank you for joining. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Ben. So you guys have had the recent privilege of writing the written portion of your Royal College exam. And you are, in fact, the first cohort of fourth-year residents to have written the Royal College Emerge exam from our program here at MAC. I'm hoping to get some of your thoughts and perspectives on what the last year of studying has been and any tips and tricks for writing this beast of a quiz. So Chad, any general reflections? Being on the other side of the Royal College, uh, it's an immense weight off of your shoulders. A few things that I, I think I, I picked up uh, along the way. Number one, uh, really letting your family know and your loved ones know how tough the year is so that you can best get that support that you need for a very tough year. And I think not only does that support get lent to you from your family members and your loved ones, but really from the program found that everybody was so uh, supportive, both from an emotional per- perspective, both from uh, you know helping you prep on shift. That's really what helped me get through the year. Other reflections that I had were really starting that preparation early on, having a good plan and not beating yourself down when sometimes you were, you weren't really sticking to that plan. Some week I may have covered more material than I would have liked. Some weeks I covered less and really not hating myself for, oh my God, I didn't get to cover, you know, cardio chapters one to seven this week. You really allow yourself uh, some leeway and, and that probably the best tips that I would give myself. Yeah. It sounds important to have some self-compassion, but also looking for compassion and support from others. 
Spencer, do you have anything to add? I think it's important to have some sort of plan for your studying and have a certain method of studying that you think you want to do, like flashcards, reading the textbook, that kind of thing. One of the things that I struggled with was found that I didn't have as solid of a plan as I thought I did. And near the end, I felt like, you know, things were falling apart when they probably weren't actually falling apart. I just feel like if you start with something solid and you can try and finish that by the time the exam comes, you'll feel more confident than I did where I was switching kind of between plans halfway through. Yeah, that's interesting. Like it's thinking about how you're preparing your preparation Really? Could you expand a little bit more on what having a good plan meant for you? For me, what my first decision was, was if I was going to read Rosen's or not. I'm sure most people know what that is, but that's kind of like our huge textbook of emergency medicine. And I kind of pulled a bunch of different people and enough people told me that I should read it. You know, a little bit of my anxieties about not reading the main source of information kind of played into my decision. So I did end up reading it. Um, and I basically tried to read each chapter. I think by the end, I didn't get to all of them. But other people would do flashcards about the chapters that they had gotten from someone from previous years or read notes or make notes. You know, everyone has their own way of reading it. That's the first decision. Like if you are going to read it or or something else? And how are you going to read it? And then after that, I think it's important to decide on a way to consolidate that knowledge. So there's a couple of ways people do this, either with flashcards or making like a one page summary of each chapter, that kind of thing. So for me, my decision was to do flashcards, kind of combined making my own flashcards with flashcards that had been given to me by someone who'd wrote, written the exam in the last few years. But where I started to run into issues was making the decision of like, when am I going to stop reading the textbook if I don't finish anything and move on to the consolidation phase? Um, so we started, I think, studying, correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, like around July, we started our study schedule. And I had kind of said to myself, I would like to be done reading the book by December um, and then consolidate. And, you know, I found myself in the middle of December, not quite done the book and just kind of deciding like I'm not done every chapter and, but I need to start studying, like not just reading. So you have to figure out where that timeline is for you and make sure you have enough time left to do it. And the second thing that I encountered was I had way too many flashcards. I ended up with like 5,000 flashcards. And if anyone has used Anki before, you will know that it's like, almost impossible to get through 5,000 flashcards with their like repetitive learning algorithm in two months. So I don't know, you might ask us about some things that we would do differently uh, later on. That's the time I could talk about that. But um, basically, you don't want to end up with that many flashcards is what I'll say for now. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you're trying to be deliberate in reviewing the flashcards that you're seeing not just spending a quick, you know, five, 10 seconds looking at the answer, but trying to solidify those connections. 5,000 flashcards each, maybe taking 30 seconds a minute to really solidify that knowledge. That's going to take way longer than you have. It's also about how the flashcards are written. I learned a lot about unintentionally learned a lot about how to write flashcards. You should really try and have like a sentence and an answer or like a question and answer. Yeah, that's a really interesting point of using the resources you have, but making sure you're using them well and also not 
repeating what has been done before, doing extra work that doesn't need to be done. Kind of on that note, how did you use the experience of residents before you to help you in your studying? All of the residents that have preceded us uh, have an immense kind of bank of knowledge on how to do well on the exam. What are, what are some of the tips that work for them? What things didn't work well for them? And I found that our resident group and even our staff were really able to provide that feedback of, you know, in Spencer's case, at least doing a first pass of going through Rosen's where you at least have that baseline knowledge going into that solidification phase, whereby you may do flashcards, notes, or any other numerous ways to help cement that knowledge, uh, tapping into that resource of what were the best notes that you found? Was it making your own notes? Was it reading somebody else's notes? What are some of the best flashcard apps that you used? Kind of open this up to all of the, the, the current PGY threes going into PGY four across the country, really utilize that wealth of information that your upper years had now having gone through the process. And Spencer, how did you find the experience of residents who have gone before you helped you in the studying process? I, I find these are always difficult things to talk to other people about because everyone has their own thing that works for them. And I had a handful of people tell me not to read Rosen's, a handful of people tell me to read Rosen's, and I just didn't really know what to do, <laughs> to be honest. And I don't necessarily know if asking other people was helpful for me. The more helpful thing was the resources that I got from other people. Even with that, there's issues like that deck started off with 3,000 flashcards and I added more. While it is very helpful to have other people's help, you need to make your decisions for yourself. Um, because, you know, when you get to the end of studying, you'll reflect back on what you did. And I don't think you'll ever be happy with exactly what you did, but it would be probably easier knowing that you did something that you thought would work well for you rather than something that someone else told you would work well for you because they don't really know how you study either. Right. It's hard because when you reflect back hindsight's 2020 and you would do probably something totally different. And when you're at the start, you just have no idea what to do. Um, so I think you just have to kind of consolidate everyone's advice and try and make a plan that you think will work well for you and not try and live up to what other people did. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like learning what you do clinically. One person might always do a CTPE where someone else would not order that investigation. And as a resident, it's our job to see what other people have done and pick our own path, pick our own clinical practice. And it sounds like that's what you're saying we should be doing when we're coming up with our study plan. Take the information about what people have done, but understand that we're all different learners. We're all going to approach studying differently. And there's not a one size fits all approach that will lead to success with the Royal College exam. Most people end up passing the exam statistically, and they probably all get there in different ways. You just have to kind of find which way works best for you. And I can talk about what I would have done if I could change it, um, but even that might not work for people. And, you know, I'm kind of hesitant to tell people how to study because if it doesn't work for them, I might feel, <laughs> feel like I contributed to some of that too, you know? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Because you're right, if we're, I'm asking you 
how should we study? Well, it's like, that's how you maybe think you should have studied differently, but it might not be how Chad thought he should have studied differently. And it probably won't be how I will reflect on this two years from now on how I should have studied differently. So it sounds like being a reflective, mindful learner is probably the most important part and understanding that even if we invested too much time or we feel like we invested too much time in one route of studying, that we don't need to treat that as like the sunk cost fallacy of, you know, we have to continue studying using this method that won't work, but be aware that different things will work for different people. Yeah, that's like the exact problem that I had as I was reading Rosen's and I just felt like I was just wasting my time almost because you would read it and then you do flashcards and then you realize oh, I actually don't remember anything from when I read the textbook. So that's part of what led me to like change up my plan near the end is I just felt like I wasn't gaining much from the textbook. If I had to go back and change things, I would have flashcards as the center of my studying like and base my studying on that and then use rosens as a supplement like you'd probably cover most of the things in the textbook if you read up on the flashcards you didn't understand right i think to spencer's point i i personally felt that i needed to at least go through rosens to get that baseline level of knowledge even if it didn't stick i think i needed to at least read over the words and have a sense of the content before I started pursuing memory work via flashcards and uh, reading over my own personal notes. But also to Spencer's point, what works for me may not work uh, for you, Ben, or for the next person studying. It's about really, again, I think tapping into the resources and seeing what works well for you as your own individual learner, tweaking the study strategy a bit from myself or Spencer to mold it into something that's gonna work for you. Ultimately, it's really the process of studying that trials and tribulations of going through the year that ultimately leads to you not only, yes, passing the exam, but I think to you being a better clinician after going through this long and arduous year. I think that's a really good point because we're all studying for the exam, but really the exam is six hours of questions that is in no way going to cover all of your emergency medicine knowledge. Really, we're studying to practice after residency, or in our case, in the last year of residency. So whatever you feel is going to solidify that knowledge for the beginning of your career, I think is probably more important than just solely for studying for the exam. I think that's a beautiful way of looking at what is a very challenging year, which when you think about it, as Chad said, this is a six hour exam. All of our emerge shifts are longer than that. We're going to be taking care of way more patients over the course of a week, a month, than there will be questions on that exam. So how do you best use this studying to not only perform on the exam, but also perform clinically? In terms of clinical work during your study year, how did you use your clinical work to benefit your studying? I found that I went through ebbs and flows where as I gained more knowledge from studying, I started to see that translate on shift. I felt myself considering more things on the differential that I may not have considered before, or I was seeing clinical presentations a bit more clearly, you know, for instance, in the context of 
facial paralysis. I was able to look past maybe the two things I had on my differential before to the other six things. And I've had an opportunity to talk to a few staff about this that have previously gone through the exam. And, you know, they had mentioned sometimes it can be paralyzing because you're coming in and you're, you're pretty okay at flow. You have an idea of how to approach most presentations in the emergency department, but now that you have all this wealth of knowledge, it can be paralyzing to think, oh my God, is it this? Is it this? Is it this thing on the differential? To me, it, that part really uh, didn't hit me as hard. I, I found that with the studying, it almost made me a better clinician. Uh, and to my point before, I think that's overall the purpose of studying. And that's the purpose of this exam. To be totally honest, I struggled a lot during the study period for a number of reasons. You know, I think what Chad said, it definitely makes you better uh, when you're studying because you pick out things that you might not have picked out before. But the things that I struggled with were seeing the other people that I was studying with who had read other things, like do really well at a certain case or answer all the questions that the staff were asking them. And then me having no idea what they were talking about made me feel like really behind. Could have been a matter of we had two different study groups and they might have been studying a different topic, right, that I hadn't studied yet. And then the second thing was in terms of clinical practice, I almost feel like when you study, you think about too much. And I would start to add these weird things to my differentials and my staff would be like, uh, what, are you what are you talking about? Like, it's not Lyme disease. <laughs> you know, like when you're studying, there's certain things that come up so often, like Lyme disease, GBS, myasthenia, you know, quinine, all these things. And then when you're studying so much and re seeing those things all the time, you, I found that I was jumping to those conclusions when like a year or two before I would have just totally not even thought about that. So I think obviously I, I agree with all the positive things that Chad said, but I just want to highlight some of the issues that some people might have during the study period in terms of clinical practice as well. Yeah. That's an interesting way to reflect on it. It's almost a paralysis with the volume of information sooner ordering like urine, methyl, valonic acid, or whatever in your looking at Chagas disease, like all sorts of weird and random stuff that your pretest probability is infinitesimally low, yet you just reviewed it. You've got a recency bias because you're spending all your time studying for this exam that is full of esoterica. So balancing that with trying to also work on being a strong clinician and leader in the emergency department as a senior resident sounds like it's very challenging. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, that well, the thing that adds on to that is in the last few months, all you're thinking about is studying and it's hard to get through a shift without worrying about how you're not studying for that eight hours or whatever it is. I know some people felt like going to a shift was a, re uh, a relief from studying, but for me, it felt like just more time that I couldn't study. I think some people struggle with actually performing on shifts during that period as well, because, you know, it's hard to get your mind off of, oh, right now I'm not reading the chapter that I said I would be reading today. I certainly used the shifts leading up to the exam almost as a study break, because it was way more fun to be resuscitating and, you know, putting in crash lines and things of that nature than it was to be sitting at my desk 
staring through the 10th, 20th, 30th flashcard of the day. That's how I personally approached the last couple of shifts leading up to the exam. And then Ben, you mentioned something before about that leadership component uh, as a senior on shift. I think a lot of that does fall to the wayside, unfortunately, in the last few months leading up to the exam, where staff would ask, what do you want to do on shift today? Do you want to have the learner? Do you want to, you know, do you want to teach? Do you want to flow? And my answer to those things would be, honestly, I just want to see cases, review them and think about my differentials because I was so fixated on doing well on the exam and how can I apply any knowledge that I found on clinical shift to that exam. I didn't really want any of those uh, external distractions from all of the other things that we do in the emergency department as the eMERGE physician. Yeah. And if Ben asked a question earlier, like how we can use shifts to study. And then one important thing that I tried to do was be selective with my patients and try and pick patients who I thought could be relevant to what I was studying at the time so that you could do what Chad just said, which is think about your differentials, think about your management, that kind of thing. Typically, you might not want to pick up some complicated neurologic thing that you have no idea what's going on. But I think picking up those things instead of like a laceration, which you might feel like you really want to do is really helpful for studying because you can not only think about it yourself, but then talk about it with your staff, maybe your staff can ask you some questions, that kind of thing. So that's a good point. Chad is like, in the last few months, I just, when I was at work, I just wanted to see things that I thought would help me with my studying and be relevant to my studying. Yeah, it's clear that the Royal College exam focuses a lot on your clinical expertise. And I really see the benefit in doubling down on that while you're on shift and picking those more difficult clinical cases and working on that clinical expert role while you're in the eMERGE. Before we wrap up, I was hoping you guys could give me some perspectives on how you're going to be using your fifth year of residency in terms of developing those other skills or areas of interest that you may have put on the back burner during your fourth year of studying, which I think is a unique thing for your year, at least from our program in being the first cohort of residents going through in your fourth year and writing the exam, where now you don't have to spend your fifth year considering things like billing and leadership, as well as studying for the Royal College exam, you can have kind of the focus now being on how to practice as an eMERGE doc with the immense amount of knowledge you've gained from your fourth year of studying. It's a great question, Ben. And I think I've already started to, uh, you know, see the shift in paradigm from pre-exam life to post-exam life, working a shift with one of our assistant program directors, uh, Alex Torley, we were having a great conversation about, you know, all a year, I really haven't had many junior learners. I haven't had many medical students or off-service PGY1s. And I found that the, one of the first shifts that I had coming back, I wanted to challenge myself and take on the, the junior medical students. And it was very difficult. It was extremely difficult because I'm so used to flowing the department by myself, not having to worry about another learner, really almost using the staff as the learner who's very experienced. Uh, and it was very eye-opening. This does take significant amount of work to become good at that, to be an excellent teacher, to flow the department, to be able to utilize all your resources, to deliver the best patient care. And I think going forward in that fifth year, the transition to practice stage is really going to be 
helpful for us clinically in learning those things on shift. Of course, we're going to have dedicated time to pursue our areas of focus competencies, but really in the other component of our fifth year, it's going to be learning how to manage that junior learner, learning how to have multiple learners on shift, leadership aspects uh, of an emergency position. Yeah, I got to say, I don't love the fact that we were the first year to do this, but I do think that it's a really good move for the structure of our program. Moving towards transitioning to practice is going to be a lot more effective after the exam because you won't be worried about your exam all year. And then on the other hand, moving towards your you know area of focused interest is also going to be a lot more effective because you won't be worrying about the exam. So I think it does really make a lot of sense. And I'm happy that it's a change that happened. Assuming that everything goes as planned, it will allow me to focus on my interest for next year, which will be medical education without spending every evening studying things that aren't related to medical education. I do think that writing the exam earlier is a great way to transition us to practice and to allow us to really focus on our area of interest. Yeah, it's exciting to think about spending a year, again, working on those other roles in the emergency department, as well as developing your own niche within emergency medicine. And as much as it probably feels like a Band-Aid being torn off uh, to be the first cohort writing the exam in their fourth year, I'm certain in years to come when we're a bit more familiar with the process, it will be, uh, if nothing but a strength for our program. Do you guys have any last words, tips, or tricks for those who will come after you on the Royal College exam year? I guess final thoughts would be uh, best of luck to uh, the upcoming PGY3 cohort that, that we'll be writing next year. We're all here to support you. You're, you know, Reach out to your seniors if you have questions, not only about how to do well in the exam, but how to, how to be well in general in this very difficult year. Lean on your cohort, lean on your co-residents, on your program admin, your staff. And no matter what happens, go into the exam feeling that you've, you've put in as much effort as you, as you possibly could so that you have no regrets after the exam. And I think that's what I told myself going into the exam, that I wanted to even if I wasn't studying the most appropriate way for me, maybe, maybe I was doing too many flashcards, not reading up Rosens, whatever that be. I just wanted to tell myself that I had put in the maximum amount of effort that when I left that exam day, I felt that I had given everything I had. And that would be my, my last thought on it. My last piece of advice, which is something that probably a lot of people won't want to hear is that the exam year doesn't have to be isolated to the exam year. I think with this move, it's important to start studying earlier because, you know, Chad and I are talking about having Rosens as a base of your knowledge to start on. And for me, I didn't read all of Rosens before the exam year started. I had read along with half days and read notes and that kind of thing. But looking back, you know, if in first year you started reading even a chapter a week or something like that, by the time you get to your study year, if you keep track of the chapters you've read, you probably have read a lot of the chapters, half, maybe more than half the chapters. And then your timeline might make a little bit more sense where you just have to finish reading the book and then you have more time to study after that, right? Awesome. Thank you guys so much for those tips. I will 
be cracking open Rosen's right after we end this chat because I've got about 700 days to go until I'm running the Royal College exam. So we'll have to keep that in mind. But I think lots of great tips and tricks and things to reflect on for those who have already written the exam, those who will be supervising our residents who are going to be writing the exam, and people like me who in the next one to three years will be writing the exam. So thank you so much, Chad and Spencer. And I look forward to working with you guys on shift soon. Thanks for having us, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mac Emerge podcast. We hope that this brings you new information and helps you up your game so you can deliver better patient care to our region. Remember, we are always looking for new talent and expertise to feature in our podcast. So if you're interested, please feel free to contact us at our email at macemergepodcast at gmail.com. We're also looking to improve your experience, so please submit your feedback as well. Again, thanks for listening. Let's all stay connected. Mac Emerge out!